this is James Rudd with the Heart Podcast. Welcome to this episode. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Pooja Mehta from Atlanta, Georgia, Emory University. Pooja has recently written an editorial in Heart with Professor Beltrami from Adelaide, all about minoca, so myocardial infarction with non-obstructed coronary arteries. We have a great discussion about how to diagnose people with minoca the various conditions that can cause a myocardial infarction without obstructing the coronary arteries, and what kind of treatments patients will benefit from. I hope you enjoy the podcast, and please leave us a five-star iTunes review. Just for the podcast audience, Pooja, could you introduce yourself and uh, tell the people where you work and what you do? Sure. My name is Pooja Mehta. I am an assistant professor here at Emory University. I am also the director of women's translational cardiovascular research at the Emory Women's Heart Center, and I'm in the Emory uh, Clinical Cardiovascular Research Institute. And uh, Dr. Mehta, you recently wrote an editorial with uh, your um, co-writer, John Beltrami, from the University of Adelaide in South Australia, all about myocardial infarction with non-obstructive coronary arteries, or as we call it, minoca. Could you tell us, first of all, a little bit about minoca, and in particular, how we define it? Sure. So this is a problem that uh, we face every day in clinical practice. Um, it is uh, a minoca, so the definition is myocardial infarction with no obstructive coronary arteries. Um, and it's really diagnosed uh, upon coronary angiography. Uh, so whenever uh, somebody is suspected of having an MI, so that's the universal definition of MI with a positive biomarker, um, usually now troponin. So positive troponin and then symptoms and or EKG changes. Um, and that can include a new ST segment changes, left bundle branch block, Q waves, uh, regional wall motion abnormality. You know, any anytime you suspect an MI and then you take them to a cath and they have uh, in coronary angiography shows no obstructive CAD. And that can be completely normal looking coronary arteries. So that would be, you know, less than 20% obstruction, less than 20, 30%, or um, 30 to 50%. As long as it's less than 50%, that's what we call no obstructive coronary arteries. And all of that falls under Minoka. And I guess we're assuming then by putting that definition of less than 50% stenosis that there has not been a plaque rupture event. Well, you could have a, a type 1 mechanism. So it could be plaque rupture. It's just that it's not uh, obvious. It's not, you know, you're not able to identify it on, on routine coronary angiography. And how common is Minoka compared to the other types of myocardial infarction that we encounter in practice? Yeah, so that's, um, uh, uh, I think that it's underreported, um, and uh, probably the estimate is uh, under 15%, so about 10 to 15% of acute MI presentations are Minoka, uh, anywhere from, you know, some studies have quoted 1% to 13%. So I would say that, um, you know, about 50,000 to 150,000 cases per year in the United States are Minoka. So it's not a small number. And majority tend to be uh, women that are younger age groups. And the, uh, this is an important thing to diagnose, isn't it? Because the actual prognosis compared to other types of uh, myocardial infarction is different. 
Exactly. So um, the, the key point is that it is not a benign uh, diagnosis. Just because you find no obstructive coronary disease doesn't mean that they're, you know, uh, off the hook and that you, they don't need cardiology follow-up. They don't need cardiac meds. Um, they still, uh, you know, have a higher um, mortality rate. And it's an, it's an alarming mortality rate, especially given the younger age group, and they don't necessarily always have the traditional cardiovascular risk factors. What studies have basically shown is that a one-year mortality rate is approximately 5%, which is, you know, higher than your uh, somebody who's not having NMI. Absolutely. And are there any particular age or demographic groups that particularly seem to get more Minoka than, than others? Um, so even though average ages, so even, you know, people older than 65 uh, will get Minoka. It's just that the younger uh, group and women tend to have a more, uh, are more likely to have this condition or present this way. Okay. And what do we, what do you identify as the causes of Minoka? I see this is a, a hodgepodge of different diseases that can lead to this appearance of myocardial infarction with non-obstructed coronaries. Can you name a few of the causes that we need to be on the lookout for? Sure. So I think that that's been one of the most challenging um, things in this area is that it is a, it represents a heterogeneous uh, pathophysiologic conditions that ultimately led to Manoka. And uh, so you can think of it as um, coronary causes versus non-coronary causes or myocardial causes and then non-cardiac causes. So for example, coronary causes would be uh, coronary vasospasm, uh, any of the microvascular uh, vasomotor disorders such as coronary slow flow, coronary microvascular dysfunction, coronary endothelial dysfunction, microvascular spasm, um, and then plaque disruption, uh, thrombi, emboli um, that are spontaneous. Um, so those would be the coronary causes. And then non-coronary causes, um, so you can think of them as myocardial causes, such as uh, myocarditis, um, Takasubo, uh, dilated cardiomyopathy, or HOCAM, um, and then the non-cardiac. So, you know, for, for various reasons, people leak their troponin. So, for example, pulmonary emboli, uh, stroke, sepsis. Uh, we have a lot of renal uh, dysfunction in Atlanta um, and, you know, end-stage renal disease. So those are the non-cardiac causes. And I see that these are now being increasingly incorporated into the, for example, the fourth universal definition of MI. There's a whole section on Minoka. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've talked already about the general prognosis of uh, patients with Minoka compared to other types of MI. But in terms of diagnosing patients, how can imaging help us to, to clinch the diagnosis? Right. So I think first is that um, clinicians just need to be aware that when they have no obstructive CAD and if you have troponin leak and symptoms and or EKG changes, you can't stop there. Um, you need to, you know, pursue, uh, try to at least identify an underlying uh, cause. And the, I usually say, you know, if um, invasive testing is available, then OCT and or IVIS, um, and then uh, functional cath to look for microvascular dysfunction. Uh, we typically don't advocate functional angiography um, in the setting of NMIs. In other words, we, we don't usually do spasm testing when they're having an acute MI. 
but if you're suspecting vasospasm, you can certainly think about that um, after. Because uh, remember that about 25% of these patients, they keep having recurrent angina. So they will have recurrent presentations. Okay. As far as imaging, um, very important, uh, especially where cardiac MRI is available. So centers where this is available, I really think that it should be uh, you know, routine um, as part of the sort of diagnostic uh, uh, strategy for trying to identify myocarditis. And interestingly, um, with the late gadolinium enhancement, you know, you can get like an ischemic pattern and you won't know necessarily whether that was because of spasm or microvascular or plaque disruption, but the uh, MRI can really help you differentiate between myocarditis, Takasubo, you know, called cardiomyopathies versus um, uh, an ischemic cause. Okay, so to summarize, you're saying everybody pretty much is going to get a diagnostic angiogram because that's part of the ST elevation workflow. And then maybe a convalescent further coronary imaging with OCT or, or IVUS. And where, if at all possible, an early cardiac MR study to, to clinch the diagnosis. An OCT could be done at the time of their initial angiogram. Okay. Uh, if it's done in a non-STEMI situation, patient stable, you, you know, and if your interventionalist feels comfortable with it, but it's the provocation testing with acetylcholine uh, for spasm, uh, that's typically not done um, in the acute MI setting. But if you're suspecting sort of a microvascular disorder, then you know that's something that can be pursued. And given that the there are various conditions that can cause Minoka. I guess the management of patients is therefore according to the underlying cause, but are there any trials out there or what do the guidelines tell us broadly about how we should be managing people with uh, effectively normal coronary arteries and an MI? Right. So right now in US, there are no guidelines specifically for Minoka. But what we have is, uh, so when, when the patient first presents, you know, you're going to deploy your non-STEMI or STEMI guidelines just because you don't know whether they have open arteries or not. Right. And so you follow the non-STEMI or STEMI guidelines. And then um, there, there are no uh, cl large clinical trials. Um, what we recently have had is uh, there's been a um, secondary prevention uh, observational study uh, from the Sweden, um, from the Swedish uh, Heart Registry, uh, I believe, with Lindahl and all, and they um, showed that with ACE inhibitors and statins, um, there was a reduction in uh, MACE when uh, patients with Minoka were followed. Um, interestingly, what they found is that dual antiplatelet therapy, so aspirin and Plavix, um, did not seem to reduce MACE. Um, in this population. And beta blockers um, did not seem to, did not reach statistical significance. And, you know, it kind of makes sense to me because statins and um, ACE inhibitors, they both uh, have endothelial effects. Um, they are, uh, you know, with the ACE lowers blood pressure as well. So at least now, um, right now in my practice, that, that's what I am using for, for Minoka patients. So in your practice, you'll you'll take a patient who, let's say they have a what's labeled as a STEMI, you find the arteries are normal. Will you immediately stop the aspirin and Plavix, but continue the ACE inhibitor and statin? Yes. If their blood pressure will allow it, then I definitely will try to get them on an ACE, even if it's the lowest dose, whatever they're able to tolerate. 
and statin, exactly. And then, uh, you know, whether they continue the uh, antiplatelet long term, um, you know, there, there's no data that says that they would benefit from that. And, and again, this becomes important just because of the bleeding risk. And also these are young, you know, often younger women. And before we uh, start putting them on all these medications, uh, that's why it's sort of critically important to identify pathophysiology. Because if we found that, um, you know, that women tend to also have more hypercoagulable states, so I will screen them for thrombophilia. Uh, you know, I'll check a factor V Leiden, uh, prothrombin gene mutation, things like that to see if we're missing a hypercoagulable state. Okay, yeah, that, that's important. And in terms of the, the future and, and ongoing research into this condition, are you aware of any uh, studies into Minoka that might help us in the future in terms of either new therapies or uh, risk scores or biomarkers? Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, Harm Dr. Harmony Reynolds from uh, uh, NYU um, has an AHA grant uh, called um, Women's HARP Study. It's a, a women's heart attack program, and Emory is uh, one of the sites. And it's a multi-center study specifically looking at Minoka patients. Um, and uh, so, we'll ha have some more information and learn a little more about this. And they also have a platelet sub-study within, um, within the Minoka uh, population. Okay. Okay. Well, that's uh, really fascinating to talk to you about. And I, what I'll do is put a link in the show notes to your to your editorial and make it free. And I'll also put a link to the Lindahl uh, paper, which I think was in circulation because that gives a very nice uh, overview of the of the topic as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there was also um, ESC had the uh, guide. Um, Americans don't have the guidelines yet, but the ESC working group had a position paper on Minoka. That okay. was uh, very good. Um, and I can send you that paper. Fantastic. Yeah, please please send it to me and I will, again, uh, put it into the show notes. But it seems, the takeaway seems very clear that you, it's really, the, the onus is on the clinician to actually make the diagnosis of the underlying pathology mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, treat accordingly, perhaps adding in an ACE inhibitor and, and statin. Uh, in the interim until you find out exactly what's going on but uh, right. fascinating area and as you say in your editorial probably underdiagnosed and underrecognized. so uh, many thanks for bringing it to our attention thank you so much for the opportunity no worries thanks for your time okay thank you